This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe. I'm Aaron Bentley. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Iron Mike Spears. What's up, Mike? Hey, y'all. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. I'm doing really well, you know? Whoa. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if there's a uh, spreadsheet on me saying if I'm doing well or I'm doing all right or if uh, I exist this much this week as much as I did last week, take it as you will. But no, I'm feeling pretty good. I, I, I've, it's been a, uh, you know, it's been a solid start of the month. You know, yesterday was my birthday. I had a great time hanging out with folks. And then, yeah, everything's been going pretty well around here. How are you, AB? I just want to clarify. He means hanging out with folks digitally. Yes, digitally at distance via Discord while watching a <laughs> wrestling show, <laughs> a weekly wrestling show. Yes, Mike is not venturing. He did not have like a big birthday party at the compound, I don't think. No, no, no. I mean, I don't let anyone within 300 feet of the compound. <laughs> uh, I'm doing all right. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm in a, uh, I, I'm in a, I think it's a life, I was going to say I'm in a lull, but I think it's a lifetime lull of not wanting to do work. And, uh, but it like ebbs and flows for me. There's some weeks I'm more successful at doing work than I am other weeks. This is a bad one. So that's a bummer. Um, we're also joined by Nate, a.k.a. Epitasis. What's up, Nate? Hi. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Mike. You said that weird, number one. Um, <laughs> number two, nothing's up. Pretty excited to have a little three-day weekend action here. Yeah. Um, particularly love a holiday weekend with no additional social obligations, you know. Uh, some of those holidays are like, oh, great, it's a holiday. But then you have to like do shit with your family or whatever. And it's like, this is not really a holiday. I'm still basically working because I have to hang out with whoever. <laughs> uh, but no, because of the pandemic, just get to sit on my ass all day. So that's pretty exciting. Um, how are the succulents, Nate? I feel like we need a succulent update. I think they're, I think they're good. Uh, there's still the one that might be dead or might be clinging to life. Uh, <laughs> the rest of them all appear to be in pretty good shape. Uh, I've totally just thrown caution to the wind as far as the watering schedule. And I just do it whenever the mood strikes me, which is like probably fewer than every three weeks. It's probably between three and four weeks, uh, but it seems to be fine. They say you're not supposed to water them too much. Sarah uh, bought a new succulent and it was outside for a few days. Mm. I, I'm not sure what the purpose of that was, but she told me there was a purpose. And then she brought it inside, which brought with it uh, bugs, of course. Yeah. I feel like you've had this exact story before. You know, I think you're didn't fucking you right a, now that I think about it. Did you have a previous it? bug issue with the yeah, plant? Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, you've definitely had a plant uh, bug emergency before. Why does she do this to me? <laughs> it seems like it, it's starting a, a trend. She's mm. the bug lover is what it is. So she's, I think so. So she's putting the succulent in a certain place. And I'm like, why are you putting it there? And she's like, well, this is where it will get the most sun. Mm. And I'm like, I thought they didn't need sun. And she said, no, they need lots of sun. 
And then she's watering it as she said that. And I was like, I thought they don't need water. And she's like, well, I'm just watering it. <laughs> so I don't know. Very weird uh, relationship with succulents yeah. in our home. Mm-hmm. I'm bugs, uh, apparently. Yeah. I'm thinking maybe she just likes having the bugs around. Um, Fucked up. I, I'm, I'm thinking about, so I have, you know, I've got some plants here, the office. I got some plants in the living room. Um, the other, the other room here is my bedroom. Uh, and I basically blocked out all the light in that room. I put like, uh, like a curtain thing over the window and then I hung a big tapestry over the curtain. So basically no light comes in at, at any time. So I can just get it pitch black in there, but I would like to get some plants in there as well. So I'm thinking about getting one of these, uh, not hydroponics, but aquaponics where it's like a little grow pod on top of, of an aquarium and it cycles the water from the aquarium into the grow pod and, and like filters it and shit. But it, all, it does seem like quite a bit of work. So you're like talking about like, do you know what, do you ever know anyone who had like those closed environment bulbs that had like water and like plant and like this and had like amoeba. It was supposed to be like an entire closed ecosystem. Is this what we're talking about here? This is not what we're talking about. I do know what you mean. Um, but this is just like, there's a little aquarium and then they put like, hydroponics on top of it basically and then you put yeah. like, a grow light over that mm-hmm. and then the water like cycles between the aquarium and the plants um but they're also not like cheap no not i that these, imagine so yeah these i bought these fucking succulents from like some brooklyn web hipster site <laughs> so it's not like they were cheap for these tiny little succulents either but you know doing the whole aquarium thing would be another step i just it'd be fun to have that in the in the bedroom, I think. Real horticulture hours with yeah. Nate. I uh, I stayed at a friend's house one time. Nathan. I've been told recently that when I mention friends, I don't say their name. And then someone said, "Oh, you said your friend's name this time." I don't know. My friend is Nathan, who I was staying with, and he has in the guest bedroom. He has tomatoes growing, and they're set up to this gimmick that the like the light artificial light comes on at like certain times or whatever. Yeah. And that happened at like 3 a.m. As I'm like sleeping, you know, <laughs> and I woke up and I thought it, and I had, I can't remember what happened, but for some reason we had been out like really late that night and, and really late for me. It's like, you know, 1 a.m. or something, you know, not like anything crazy, but I was like, holy shit, it's morning. And, you know, I felt like I hadn't slept at all, but I, it's cause I hadn't. And this, damn tomato light comes on who grows tomatoes in their guest bedroom i mean they're really temperature sensitive so yeah, temperature sensitive yeah i mean uh, however you know. i would have been like hey aaron just so you know i grow tomatoes in there the light may come on while you are asleep well, don't turn it off he said he meant to unplug it or whatever yeah and he, he had forgotten which i said i fucking unplugged it the second i realized what it was you kidding me <laughs> Yeah, I would have forgotten to. I don't care about your tomatoes. Uh, anyway. There's tomato chat. Tomato chat. If you want to talk to us about tomatoes or anything else, you can hit us up on Twitter at everything AEW. I'm at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji. Hey, ya. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Give us a rating and review if you use the Apple Podcast app. And... If you want to support the show, you can check out patreon.com slash everything elite. Tonight on the show, we will review Fighter Fest night one from last night. We will talk about, we will preview 
Fighter Fest Night Two. We will do ratings. That's pretty much it, I think. That's that's what we have planned for the show. Uh, as is customary, we will begin with Elite or Delete. Delete. Elite. Delete. Elite. It's your first time listening. You know, you saw Fighter Fest last night and you thought, I got to check out a, a podcast that's devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe. And this is your first time. Basically, we pick our favorite and least favorite things from the show, but we gave it a name. So it would uh, be a little more fun. So we'll start with Elite Picks. Nate, what did you think was the best part of the show last night? Best part of the show. Easy pick for me. And, you know, we've, I think, lamented the booking of the women on AEW. Been talking about how, you know, there's certainly room to grow there. They, uh, you know, Sasha and Bailey seem to be getting good ratings for NXT and attracting interest. Uh, And AEW just does not seem inclined to put in that extra effort to try and make a star on the women's division that can draw that same sort of interest. Uh, But I thought we had a little bit of a development on this most recent episode of Dynamite uh, with, of course, the debut of Sue Marashula, Greg's mother, driving the (laughs) minivan for the entrance. I I super worked Bentley there because he thought I was going to go somewhere else and take his. But no, you got worked. Uh, It was absolutely delightful. was a perfect denouement to the stupid truck entrances that's been happening in this company first with cody and then with ftr and sumar shulo comes in here in the minivan totally subverts the whole thing just looks like a real sweetie driving chuck and trent to their big match and i think this is the way in to get people invested in the best friends and, and trent in particular on that next level Because I've talked about how we need the best friends to cry. We need some sort of emotional realness from them that gets people invested on the next level with a wrestler. And it's hard to do that with the best friends because they're, you know, uh, irony poisoned millennials, uh, et cetera. I think Sue is the key. I think we lock in on the story of Sue supporting her son and his crazy, stupid dream to be a pro wrestler. Just a mom loving her unknowable, weird Trent son. And, you know, we get like some vignettes in their house and it's Sue sitting there on the nice, nice couch and Trent's there in full gear and his abs and pecs just popping out all over the place. And I think if we focus on that story of Sue supporting her son to have his dreams come true, I think that's the way in to really get some, uh, some emotional impact out of this tag team. And of course, like, I, I, it was so great having Sue, but like the idea of now these vignettes is now already like etched into my brain that like I'm already like booking them in my head. It has to be like an old school living room. You know, it's not like an actual living room that people live in, but like at least like growing up, I feel like that everyone had like the living room and then the living room where kids weren't allowed to do it. So you have to, you have to shoot it in there. It has to have like the giant doily on the couch, you know, you like yeah, yeah, seventies like that. Uh, Trent the entire time has to be frustrated that this is going on, just completely put upon. Going, mom, like talking about Greggy, and th- th- there's something there. I-, I definitely think that this is a way to go, and you can do this as like the build up 
for them to finally get another title shot and win the tag titles. Like there's a good thing. And then you have like Chuck who's coming by and it's like, Mrs. M, uh, you're out of orange juice or something like that. And there's a lot of ways to go with this, that there's a, that we've got something going here. Okay. But here's my thing. Why is everybody so down on cars? I mean, first of all, cars should be banned. That's number one. Okay. We all are in agreement on that, except race cars. We're all in agreement on that, but cars are cool. When people drive cars out, that's cool. When people are in big cars, that's cool. Uh, cars are cool. Yeah. I, cars is, as set pieces are cool is what I'm saying. I think this is just you being reactionary to Joe Lanza again. Um, no, I just, I like car. I think it's cool when wrestlers come out in cars. Yeah. I mean, kind of sometimes. More cars. I say, what, first, what about... All, what about They're Rusev coming out on the tank? That's that different. Tank is not a car. That's tank that is not cool. a car. It's a vehicle. Yeah, it's vehicle, a vehicle, but it's a, a fuck off tank. Yeah, not um, a sports car or a 1950s truck. What, what about Eddie coming out in the lowrider? Got old after yeah know, four or five times, but still cool. I I mean, all I'm thinking about with like cars that i've liked in wrestling it's a very short list and right now oh. at the top of it might be uh sue marshulo's minivan also you're using the most cool examples of cars ever when in actuality in this company we've had the least cool example of cars ever with two stupid trucks yeah and you're not even mentioning the best car of all time masahiro chono coming out and the tokyo dome and yeah. an original hummer like if you want to come at that with that Come at it with that. Don't come at it with uh, a uh, a tank that's not a car, Bentley. Come on, it's not a car. Yeah, it's if a it was a Hummer or a DeLorean, then it's cool. If it's Southern trucks, it's not cool. That's uh, it's op it's opposite my alignment in the culture war, so I have to rail against it. <laughs> um, but that's why Sue's debut here was so great because it just totally subverted that and made the trucks look as ridiculous as they are. All right, Mike, what's your pick for? Uh, the most elite thing on the show. So we had a very special day yesterday. It was Wardlow Day. And yet again, we have this beacon of light shining down to us from the heavens. And a really fun opening match that like kind of set off the uh, the Spider Fest of being a show that's probably been my favorite episode of their weekly TV since they've in the COVID era. But it just was like such a really like fun match where Wardlow really like you you now like look at Wardlow and after a while everyone's like getting excited for Wardlow just because he's he has a fun name to say he's really jacked and he he doesn't talk and we didn't get to see what he is but now we can see Wardlow and Wardlow rules and in this match like I can see I want to see him versus Jungle Boy and like an and like a best two out of three falls match or like an Iron Man match and you see like okay let's see where this can go here and like other people match like MJF has really kind of picked up and I really appreciate that as well. Luchasaurus is someone that I have, he tries and he's hurt a lot. And I hope that like this, but like having him with Wardlow like collide against each other and all that for the last two weeks has been a blast. And jungle boy is turning into like the young baby face hunk. That's going to like capture the nation, especially as soon as they they really want to go with. And if they want to do this, like it's totally probably, up to them about this the fact that he is uh luke perry's son like he's an instant superstar and it all came together in a, just a huge blast of a match which had wardlow throwing people around and i had a great time 
I don't have. I don't think I have any takes on the wrestling on the show. I don't know how you guys do this. So, <laughs> yesterday, like like we discussed, we had a digital hangout for Mike's birthday, and uh, we had the three of us and uh, Mike's brother Drew and Kath Barbadoro and Aaron Tab all dropped by and and Kara to just hang out and watch the show. And you guys apparently do this every week in the Patreon Discord. And I don't know how you focus on Dynamite when you're doing this because I found it impossible. Well, this was a little more. Um, distract, uh, distracting is not right, but there was more going on than spirited. Usual. Spirited, yeah. It's usually just me and Mike are the only ones on voice chat, uh, you know. And I usually during the promos, I completely like take my headphones out and just focus on the promos so I can write down what's said. And you could focus a little more. It's more like a running commentary when when it's just Mike and me, uh, and we're interacting with our friends there in the Discord. But this was, you know. Nate is there for the first time. That's exciting. Kath, we have Kath Barbadoro on the line, and she's very funny. Uh, obviously, Drew is very funny. Fucking Aaron Taub is there. You know, I don't get to talk to him at all. There was a lot going on. Yeah, so anyway, I, I don't know what happened. Everybody seemed to like these matches. I think all these matches were good, but I, <laughs> so that's my take on the Wardlow tag. <laughs> I didn't like seeing Wardlow lose. I'd rather see Luchasaurus lose than Wardlow. Well, I mean, like, yeah, and then we had the MJF kind of, like, involvement to the finish which is kind of a bummer that they're burning that off but this company likes running through two years of storyline in three months so yeah yeah that was just disappointing to me the match was very good i mean the work was good it was fun to watch uh i did have to go back and, and watch it again because i basically missed all of it while we were uh talking on the discord last night so i like that but i am bummed at not only how quick they're going through it but just like the oh i hit people with a ring and i accidentally hit my partner with this ring that's just very boring to me uh it, it's kind of rote as far as like partners breaking up oh one of them accidentally hits the other i will say it was yeah. executed unusually well where he wasn't he stopped short of hitting him but then got like his arm got kicked so he actually hit him it was unusually good execution in that you know rote sort of angle I just think there are much more clever ways to separate people, and especially these two people. Like MJF has very specific uh, and vaguely unique motivations as a character, and there are more interesting ways for he and Wardlow to start having uh, different aims so that they kind of have to split up. And that gives more... Uh, heat's not really the right word, but it gives more to the eventual feud between Wardlow and MJF, if they have a more interesting reason for splitting up. I, I think you're right. But I think there's also an issue that we don't really know why they're together in the first place. Wardlow is just kind of this guy that MJF brought in to be his heavy, which is, it can be a relationship, but it, it kind of makes their eventual separation not as impactful, right? It's just like, Oh, Wardlow's brought in to be the heavy, and now we can all see coming a hundred miles away that Wardlow's going to turn on him. And so when it happens, it's just like assumed, and and we already knew it was happening, and, and and the fact that they're going to it so quickly doesn't help that. Um, so yeah, I would rather just see Wardlow booked strong, um, them staying together as a coherent unit, and try to get some insight on who is Wardlow to MJF. He's just like. Oh, I met this guy at AIW and I thought he'd be a good guy to watch my back. Or is there any other sort of relationship there? I, I like the idea of him being an international man of mystery, though. Like, there's like we can know too much about Wardlow. 
But like, think about like when Batista first started off, and we assumed him as like this big heavy guy, and he turned and it was awesome. It was like the last time though things were interesting with if anything involving Triple H. Like, there's a way to do this and like thread the needle of keeping this interesting, giving us a backstory, but allowing a level of mystery. And to to kind of piggyback off your point, Nate, a hard thing about this right now is all like the angles and all the things like this. We don't know if they're actually earned or if it's just because everyone's there and they're reacting to the show because they're supposed to react to the show. So you kind of lose whatever like true thermostat you have on if something is working or what is not. So, I mean, they're doing all these things. And I guess if you're someone who goes by the quarter hour by quarter hour to see what people find interesting or not interesting, you can use that. But we really have nothing to tell like, oh, is this actually being paced well? Is this actually like an earned storyline that people can be invested in and i think that that's another problem with the storyline as well yeah that's the issue with running through everything also is that you don't have that time for the relationship to really form like even look back at the cody mjf angle you know we basically had they kind of told us instead of showing us in a lot of ways that a lot of their storytelling is telling instead of showing and so we were told cody mjf are such good friends cody yeah, I know everybody doesn't trust him, Jeff, but I do. And but then it blew up, you know, very quickly. So we, we don't have the time to get uh, emotionally invested in things as much in this company. I'm going to uh, compare it to uh, one of the worst screenwriters in Hollywood, uh, the guy behind the terrible show Lost, uh, which is bad. And The Last of Us Two is also bad. Brian um, <laughs> Damon Lindelof is this guy who writes these movies that have all the mechanics of. Uh, a story that you get invested in and, and hitting all the scenes and pieces that you need. Like you'll see a movie or a series by him and it'd be like, Oh, well, in order for this, you know, a uh, big turn to land later, we need a scene here that establishes the character's feelings at this time. And that scene will be there, but it doesn't have just the emotional connection. And it doesn't feel like Mike said, it doesn't feel earned. It just feels mechanical. Like, Oh Yeah. Uh, MJF and Wardlow in order to get to that thing down the line where they separate, we have to have a scene here where he accidentally pints him or he, he berates him and the other guy doesn't like it. And it just doesn't connect on a real level. Uh, it just connects on like a, you know, if I'm examining this from a thousand feet, yes, that's what should happen at this point. Uh, I'll also compare it to <laughs> that WWF desire video. The really good one. That was like the whole history of the WWF before uh Vince McMahon brought the NWO in to kill it. Um and they had the 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 quote from Kid Rock at the top where it's like uh you know the, the point of the quote is if it's real you'll feel it. That's what they like, need more realness that you feel here. And it's like it was at a high maybe on the first show with like Cody and Dustin where it felt real. And with with MJF with Wardlow it just feels kind of mechanical. It had the, the Kid Rock quote, I never gate away. I don't play with ass. And that really just brought it all together, I thought. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, just another reason to, to cancel the WWE for their uh, prior misconduct. Absolutely. Okay. My elite pick that Nate tried to uh, trick me into thinking he was going to take. It's called Working I Worked You. <laughs> You're getting worked, bro. Uh, Penelope Ford is my pick. My elite pick of the show, Penelope showed up and had an absolutely um, 
satisfactory performance in a title match on a big show. I think there were, well, based on in the Discord last night, Kath was saying she wasn't sure that that uh, Penelope would be able to work up at the level that she would need to with Sheeta in this big title match. And so I think a lot of people were surprised to see how good Penelope was in this match. She held up her end of the bargain easily. You get Kip Sabian in his highest best use, which is as Penelope's manager. And it becomes a satisfying match because you still want Sheeta to win. And Penelope kind of gets her comeuppance or Kip really gets his comeuppance more than anyone. And it all kind of plays out, but it also feels like, okay, that was a title match. That was worthy of being a title match. So you have to give Penelope a lot of uh, credit for how much she's improved. And I think it's what you were talking about earlier, Nate, with the the stars uh, in, in women's wrestling. Kara had this great thread uh, a couple of days ago, or maybe yesterday, who knows, about how there was this moment with like Sasha and Bailey where it felt like women's wrestling could be presented as a real equal, a real alternative to men's wrestling. And she also pointed out that AEW, of course, hasn't really seemed to even try to make the kind of stars or present the kind of stars that they can in the women's division. Penelope is a future superstar, someone who could be positioned uh, right in the middle of things and be huge if they handle it the right way. Yeah, I did think this seemed really very good. Uh, Penelope stepped up big time. I, of course, always knew that uh, Penelope had the potential and the ability to to get to a level where she could perform um, in a great match like this. Um, so, yeah, also very funny uh, every time Penelope comes up that, uh, uh, you know, the commentators and Dave Meltzer and everybody just talk around that she has a really great look. It's just very amusing to me. Um, yeah. Good segment. Yeah. It's something that we we just talked about things being earned. This felt like, and seeing the elevation of Penelope Ford as someone at the beginning of this year who was just kind of who really was a part of one like one of my least favorite matches in AEW last year, and someone that seemed like was more of an obstacle to be worked around versus like an a compliment in a match. Do her being what I think legitimately probably the most improved wrestler in the world this year. Like she's gone from someone that like, and it could pretty much start from the cruise match that it was her and Kip versus Kenny and Riho. And I feel like that ever since then, each match she's gotten better and better. And it's gone from someone that's like, okay, you have to work around or you have to kind of figure out here to actually having like a really well-deserved great match. And I, I liked also how they, they've played up Hikaru Shida as a champion that like she's won against jobbers like in, less than a minute and they did that just to start the match where it looked like she was doing running knee falcon arrow and just doing the deal and paying her away and it didn't happen and i feel like that that was a little nice thing a, a kind of a cool touch for viewers that keep up on everything so it, it, it was just like a red thing and then like kip sapien doing things like having the most ridiculous and over just overwrought sell of getting hit by uh Hikarushita and then throwing the uh the kendo stick a good clear 15 feet into the air. And we had like this really cool of just like thing of it, like falling into Sheeta's hand. I thought that that was really great. And it just was, it was just something that like watching this match and I could totally see how uh, Penelope Ford now is someone that, that if I was in the, the booking office, be like, all right, how can we get her into a position to truly shine and be this like big moment star that you all talk about? Because it's, something that is very blatantly there and this match kind of proves it. 
Yeah, that is, I think, uh, an interesting challenge because she is a heel. Um, and that is a how do you continue to build her and get her to a level where or, you know, really any of the women get them to a level where people are buying into the point that they are further invested, not just in, hey, that was a that was a good match. That was a good segment. But, you know, like become real diehard fans of the women in this division the way they are with like Sasha and Bailey. Well, they as we talked about on light this past week, this um the hype video that, that we'll talk about later for the Penelope Sheeta match where Penelope actually got a little bit of mic time or, you know, standing in front of the camera and talking and she was very compelling. So hopefully that's one thing that they'll do is just start, you know, letting her speak for herself a little more and uh, let people get invested that way. All right, well, let's turn to the things that we didn't like from last night. Nate, what was your delete pick for this week? Uh, my delete pick uh, I think is FTR's tweets mostly really full. This whole fucking story they're doing uh, is I would say cringe. They're doing this thing. If you're not familiar where, you know, they uh, are representing the old school and representing, you know, the guys they like from their childhood, the four horsemen, and they are crusading against leg slaps and Kenny, Kenny Omega quote unquote wrestling matches uh, and, you know, doing tweets like, oh, it makes me sick that Kenny Omega is killing the business and not drinking beer or whatever. Just very hack stuff, uh, WCW level stuff where they're just drawing everyone's attention to the fact that wrestling is fake. Um, and, you know, the, some of that is kind of invited because Kenny Omega has made having good matches such a core part of his character. So that does sort of you know, invite the attack on that part of his character. Um, but it's really awkward. And uh, <laughs> that's like the most, the thing that is most uh, annoying me about AEW right now is their tweets. Um, also, Sean Spears tweeted the Roman numerals four. FDR has been orbiting this four horsemen thing. And um, Cody has been throwing up the four. Uh, but Cody and Sean Spears are supposed to hate each other and have a forever grudge. And uh, that uh, just is sitting very discordant with me right now. Yeah, uh, two things. One, uh, if Cody does a giant fake out where he puts all these nerds in their place, being like, no, I'm not doing anything with, with you three goobers. Uh, that would be great. Like He's like, oh yeah, no, I was just being it. Because fuck you, Sean Spears. You busted my head open. And FTR, you're a bunch of vegetable lords. Like, if that's what's going to happen out of this, that'd be great. But yeah, no, FTR has quickly become like one of the acts that I just, I was already kind of hesitant about them coming in. And I get why they come in. I get why they have been like a big part of the Bucks and the being the elite thing, even dating back years now. It's just, they come off as like such tryhards and like their match sites. I forgot who I was talking to about this. It might have been K Slow about FTR like saying they're so old school but then they have like a super fast match like they're mad it's not like that they like do like slingshot suplexes and like work the knee and do like fake tag outs but it's just like that, that was me but that was you okay I well, apologize they, they, do that. they just do it all very quickly yeah they do it all very quickly yeah I I forget what I say like, okay. like this, this, and what this, I say apparently this <laughs> is going into Aaron in your home so come on yeah <laughs> 
This is going to go in Aaron Bentley's uh, slight uh, spreadsheet against me, guys, just so everyone knows. I, I just, just clocked this time there. But, yeah, no, at FTR, I'm over it, and I'm over their 21 pilots ask like, close the walk around in, and, like, I could maybe get behind them and Paige if it's a breakup thing, but I just still don't even really care about that. It's just like, ugh. Yeah, I mean, I've always hated FTR because of this junk. Like, it's just... It's annoying. Uh, do we think, I mean, are, are we all getting worked or is this turning into a Cody FTR hangman for Horseman? Um, hangman is actually perfect in that, that role that, that we've talked about before of that, like young, you know, the young star on the, on the come yeah. up. I guess because then you got Cody, so then Cody would have to be adjacent to the Bucks and or not adjacent, but uh, adversarial toward the Bucks, and then Hangman, and that works out too. It'd be kind of fun. I, I mean, I did spend a lot, a lot of time on this podcast talking about the Hangman Hill turn and feud with Kenny Omega that they were planting seeds for. Um, I think, and I thought that would work, and I do think it would probably work if he was, you know, he fits with that group thematically for sure. Um, but I think he's just. Cody has has become too unlikable and Hangman is too likable now that it, it's hard to reconcile those things. I think that would probably bring Hangman down to just be like the second singles guy in that group. Yeah, I think I agree that he's like, he's too over to be in that spot. Like it's a good way to catapult someone the way they used, used it for Brian Pillman. But it didn't work as well for Lex Luger, for example. Who That's an interesting person you mentioned there for a potential fourth member of the AEW Four Horsemen. Ah, uh, yes. I guess there's there's a report that Brian Pillman Jr. worked the AEW tapings last night. Well, he was there in gear, so that would sort of compute. Now, he's a guy who has the aesthetic and the theme and the pedigree for that stable, um, and it could also use a lot of time being on the bottom of that stable so he could just get a bunch of reps. He would have to get like uh, good at wrestling. I think that would be the first thing <laughs> yeah, I yeah. would suggest. Yeah. Uh, he would have to get some charisma. I think that would be the second thing I would suggest. Um, I mean, the, 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 there's a roadmap for him in this, I feel like, for it to be palatable. But it's in, I don't know. I think everybody who's ever listened to this knows I'm a huge Brian Pillman mark. So it's just like stunning to me that his son is is just not him, I guess, is what well, irritates me. <laughs> but I get, probably shouldn't be stunning because it's not unusual. It's sure, not like his dad know. was around to teach him how to wrestle or anything. That's true. Yeah. But it's just disappointing. I don't know. Some of that stuff you think would be genetic. But I've, clearly we've seen throughout yeah, the history know. of pro wrestling that it isn't. <laughs> like nobody. Eric Watts. Right. Oh, I'm thinking of, you know, David Flair, you know, the Flair kids. And it's like Charlotte is obviously the biggest, uh, the, the best was wrestler. Was San Martino's kid also a David? Was it David San Martino? Yeah, David San Martino. Yeah, none of that has ever really worked, I guess. Hashimoto's uh, kid, right? Yeah. I mean, really, Mexico usually has had the best track record of second and third generation wrestlers being consistently solid. I mean, yeah. like, Negro Casas is a second generation wrestler. Like, might be the, the greatest second generation wrestler of all time, him or Eddie Guerrero. So, yeah. 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 Eddie obviously plays against this. I was thinking like The Rock, but, you know, his dad wasn't like The Rock. <laughs> you know, no, it wasn't no. that kind of 
that kind of personality. Mexico so. also kind of cheats, I think, just by sheer volume. They're sure. like, well, there's the honored Viano name, and now we're going to have 17 Vianos and Hijo <laughs> de Vianos and Viano Junior Threes. Uh, and then at least a couple of those have to be good. I, I mean, it's, it is difficult when you have uh, Viano three junior and then Hio del uh, Viano three, like that's just like throws things up. And then, then you get into all the Brazos and that's even more complicated and convoluted and all the fake Octagon juniors. So, yeah. All right. What's your delete pick for this week, Mike? So mine's not actually anything that happened on camera. Uh, Neither was Nate's. Yeah, I mean that that that's true. That's true. Yeah, no, we're going a little bit meta here, I guess. So I don't know, but uh, reports came out last night, and they've been confirmed by uh, established media sources that there were that the that AEW had outside people that were outside the their so called bubble and weren't wrestlers. They were friends and family and J- Jacksonville Jag staff members that were up on the upper bowl. And this is like the first time they've kind of opened these up for shows, but they've been applying basically the same testing as the uh, person who posted this. And it's been verified since that they did, they did temperature checks. They asked them, have you been around anyone who's sick? You can wear a mask when you get inside, but you can take it off because you're going to be so far up that you can't get the, uh, the wrestlers and the workers sick, which is just, I think detestable that they've been, they made a big point of that. I mean, Taz in his promo made a comment about how everyone in AEW, they've been working clean, like they're doing it the right way. And he was making that as a shot at WWE during this, but then you have this and you still don't have a public protocol, which is something that I, I feel like I've been saying every week, almost that's almost turning to like a moot point, how much I say this, but when you bring people in like this, especially in Jacksonville and Duval County, one of the biggest epicenters of COVID-19 right now, it's just, it, you're not just like failing like your fans you're failing your community, and especially for the fact that they're doing a COVID relief show and they're making a big thing about that in two weeks and they still do this and they don't have a published protocol. Like there's an opportunity there for them to be like the leaders in North America about this. And it seems that by hook, by crook, they're going to do things their way. And then we, then outsiders will find out either by people who showed up there posting about it or just random comments or interviews with wrestlers when they should have been having a public covid protocol ever since they decided to go to empty arena and i find that really really uh depressing and i think that that's something that should be brought up a lot more by people about what they're doing yeah um you know i i can see theoretically oh you know the the people are on the upper decks they're not anywhere near our wrestlers or our staff or the people that have been doing covid testing that's like a fine theory but it's also not worth the risk, even the the risk of between just people that are already in those upper decks and aren't, you know, uh, in proximity to anyone else, because it's not like having those people in the upper decks added anything to the show here. We didn't hear them. It's like, you know, we heard the 18 people at ringside and, you know, four random bikini girls. Um, so just, yeah, it does not seem like a necessary risk at all. Yeah. Uh, just one more thing. It's not just like, they made it very apparent that their risk was about the wrestlers and not about Jacksonville because yes. the people up there are going back into their community. Duval County, I think they have incorporated a mask in public thing, but I mean, you're still the, still the transmission rate of how many ever people have, I think I saw the number it was 60 or so or thereabouts like that did not have like that protocol. And basically said so that's like, yeah, you're not going to breathe onto the ring from up in the upper deck, but you will breathe onto the other 60 people that are up there. And if you're trying to care about your community, make such a big deal about being part of Duval, the Khan family makes a big point about that. 
isn't this like trying to have it both ways? So yeah, just had to rant about that for a second. I wanted to defend this because I already saw it becoming like the WWE stands versus AEW stands thing on Twitter. And so and I you wanted are, an AEW stand who takes <laughs> up for them at all. Of course, of course. And so, well, it's just, I hate WWE fans. I just really do. Like the really hardcore WWE fans. I just like your OG Johnny fives. Right. Yeah. Your, your, uh, anti-crack accounts, your Kobe Memorial accounts, like that kind of shit. I just, it, ah, uh, it rubs me in the same way as uh, the, the picture I posted today of the woman who has a human rights campaign hat on, a trust Fauci face mask, and a mug that says, I just want to pet my cat and pretend like Obama is still in office. Like, that's how it makes me feel when I see people be like, uh, actually, Seth Rollins is Mr. Burn It Down and whatever. You know, it's like, Shut the fuck up. So I, the point is, I wanted to defend this because of that. But uh, Mike's right. It sucks ass. So I got to agree with Mike on this one. And let it be listed that I will be the person that is willing to hold AEW's feet to the fire. It's true. It's true. I'm, uh, I'll just, I'll defend anything AEW does. I think everybody knows that. Anyone who's listened <laughs> to this podcast for any period of time knows that. Uh, well, speaking of, I get to delete something now, right? Uh, I think everybody knows I don't really like MJS promos usually. It blows my mind that everybody's like a fucking uh, all-time talker. And I'm like, I don't know, dude. Uh, I don't think so. But, okay, presumably somebody signed off on him doing this promo about the ratings war. And it's like, that really sucks. It's very boring. Like, if you're going to do that shit, it's cooler when it was Tony Schiavone, like, spoiling the, the main event of... Uh, brawl like that's funny that's cool but like referencing this ratings war that's with nxc i just think it's i think it brings aw down to do that uh and so I, like a, it was fun when taz which he later got undercut by uh the fact that they didn't test the people that they let into the show but when taz does like the we don't run a sloppy shop like I don't know. Something about that I found very funny and like I enjoyed. Mostly just because Taz is such a great promo. I guess so. Yeah. It's just like the sniping I like. But like the ratings war thing was just a little too much of, uh, of, a, of a cringy thing that I didn't enjoy. That didn't bother me because it was mentioned as a vehicle for him to put himself over. So it just fit into his character that way. He's just saying, oh, it's a ratings war. That's why they have me on the show, because I'm a star and I draw eyeballs and attention. Uh, so it was mostly, you know, uh, to the end of putting himself over. Did you see and what did you think about Cody's shirt? Cody's shirt was great. I like okay. I like the. I guess I like it when it's kind of petty, like I enjoyed uh, that. OK, that's interesting. I'm, I'm a petty person. I mean, I, I enjoy the pettiness. What I don't enjoy is. And it's a little more subtle, right? But I don't know how subtle, but you know, it's not completely outright said. But with the MJF thing, it's like, okay, AW has just, or NXT has just beaten you in the overall viewers for like a week or two or whatever. So now you're talking about a ratings or when they've never really mentioned that much in the past. So it's just, it rang odd for me. Well, the TNT has, TNT has pointed out that it's like the number one new series on cable. Like and yeah, the, but the, but not on the show. Oh no, there was a commercial 
during the show. No, no, no. I mean in the actual show. Okay. There's not yeah. like wrestling it, characters talking about a ratings war that often. So it just seemed odd. It, it, it's yeah. something. Oh, go ahead. I, I can't. I can't discern the line for you on why some of those things bother you and the other ones don't. Um, Neither can I. But okay, I respect it. Yeah. I don't know. It's just you're listening and sometimes I'm like, I don't like that. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I like that. It could be as simple as I'm not particularly fond of MJF's character and I am very fond of Taz's character. Yeah. Yeah. And as someone that I feel like that I'm in the middle on MJF's promos, there's times I think MJF does cut very good promos. I think that a lot of like the pre-tape stuff that they had in the lead up to uh, Double or Nothing 2 was good, especially like his promo where he was on a throne. I thought that that was pretty well done, but this one was just something that also you could tell that that he asked for a mic and he was just going to cut a promo because he tries to start talking as his theme is still playing and they were not going to cut out his theme to let him cut a promo. So it just was not needed, whereas Taz and both his interactions on the show, like we'll get into it when we, uh, when we start breaking down the, the card fully like even for what he did for like his move how he inverted the move his like move of the week analysis thing was really great i mean taz is probably the best promo guy in wrestling right now i think that's fair to say and it's just you know taz can make the shots because he's actually good at it all right let's hit the ratings real quick aw got a big jump in total viewers from six hundred thirty three thousand to seven hundred forty eight thousand. they moved up to sixth in the demo with a 0.29 rating nxt was up slightly by 6,000 people, up to 792,000. Uh, they also shot up in the demo to 13th. Uh, they were up to a 0.22 demo. Yeah, uh, it's worth noting that AEW now has consistently been the number two non-news program and the demographic that advertisers care about. Thanks, Chris Jericho, for making my point for me. As I've said this every week, the 18 to 49 demo. And they've been that pretty much consistently and it's kind of interesting how aew in a lot of ways kind of mirrors the uh the show that's basically been number one every single night other than when there's been like a huge event and that is mtv's the challenge like their demos are not very like far off and something we'll be doing over the next few weeks just because i'll be honest like doing like big ratings breakdowns right now is kind of a little bit boring for me and it's something that i feel like probably might be boring a little bit for listeners i'm gonna see because i have a theory that there is more of a relationship with AEW and the challenge because it's number one thing as NXT has one with the ones that I saw was most similar to is forced by fire. So I'm going to be trying to see if there's any correlation there and I might have that for next week. All right, let's move into a, a breakdown of all of fighter fest night one. We started with Chris Jericho coming out for commentary. This led right into MJF coming out. He says he's beaten jungle boy over and over again. And as we just discussed, the only reason this match is happening is because we're in a ratings war and you need MJF to get a W. The promo fed right into Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy defeating MJF and Wardlow. As we discussed, Luchasaurus pinned Wardlow after MJF accidentally hit Wardlow with the diamond dynamite ring or whatever it's called. I guess we've talked about that match already. So Lance Archer, we, we see Lance Archer out. He's, you know, doing Lance Archer things. Uh, Joey Janela is mad. He rips his shirt off, tries to get at Lance Archer, but Sonny Kiss and the refs get in between, hold them back. Of course, this is building to their match on Fighter Fest night two coming up next week. I thought this was pretty effective. You know, I liked 
in the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network that there was some buildup that they had for stuff going on for next week and i felt like that this was pretty effective on a match that didn't really have a whole lot of stakes to it and i thought that they built this up pretty well yeah, they've got me to where I'm actually looking forward to this. I, I guess I just don't know what a Joey Janela Lance Archer match looks like, but I guess we'll talk about that when we uh, preview it. Uh, we did forget about one thing. Next week is the Puppy Bowl. They did have a promo for the Puppy Bowl before the Archer and Janela thing. Okay, I have to say, I somehow completely fucking missed this. <laughs> I also missed this entirely. I don't know. Was it in the context of the show? Was it might the did the fight miss feed miss it? Maybe the fight feed might have, but it was like right before, like they were getting back into the crowd, and then it, I think it was in between the Archer thing and before they repeated the the World Women's Title build from Row Two. But they're doing like a little puppy bull thing on Wednesday, which I have to respect. Like that's a move to do. Is like, hey, we're gonna put dogs out here because people love dogs. So although I think it turned out from Twitter that they are cop dogs, and I just want to say. Stop oh, making dogs cops. Yeah, yeah. Co- dogs don't have the free will to decide to be cops or not. Humans force them to do it. Like that's not cool. 
Terrible. Favorite pop dogs. As as Nate or as Mike said, rather, the next thing was uh, the video hyping up the Hikaru Shida Penelope Ford match. This was on Road to Fighter Fest. Basically, they recapped the Shida and Nyla Rose feud. Shida says she had four singles belts in Japan, so she knows the most difficult time is after taking the belt. She also very earnestly remarks that she really hates how Penelope fights in her uh, very funny British slash Kiwi accent. And uh, Penelope, they, they gave her a little moment of showing her beating Riho, which I thought was a good way to build this up. And it led into the match with Hikaru Shida defeating Penelope Ford with the running knee. Uh, as Mike said, they really protected Penelope here. I thought she hit the Falcon's arrow and then uh, had to get the, the running knee uh, after that. So they built up that she could beat people with the Falcon's arrow. But then in this match, she had to go back to her running knee. Next up was uh, Taz breaking down the paradigm shift. So giving us everything we need to know about the the mechanics of uh, Mox's paradigm shift. And I thought this was really cool because Taz has done like a very much playing it straight with people's moves and telling it from like a idea from fighting and then also from just biology and anatomy. But then he argued that uh, Brian Cage's shoulders are too thick that he's not going to be able to compress his skull with the paradigm shift. And he won't be able to get a grip for the paradigm shift. And I was like, all right, Taz, like this is a great version of this. Let's go. So I thought that as always, Taz was really great in this. Next was the TNT championship match. Cody defeated Jake Hager. Hager had Cody in a Uranagi like uh, choke combination. And Cody, uh, as he is wont to do, floated over. Got the pin on Hager. Hager thought he won. Uh, after the match, Hager knocked out the ref. I just saw that he's been suspended for 10 days and fined an undisclosed amount. So we know that. You know, uh, joke's on me. I finally did not buy a Jake Hager match. And by God, uh, this was quite good, I thought, until the finish. I mean, the real star of this match was the uncrowned Mrs. United States, Catalina Hager. Like Really good nickname for her. Yeah, tremendous nickname for her. Great manager. Uh, yeah, for some reason, this might have been Jake Hager's best singles match in AEW with someone that has been having decreasing uh, returns in singles matches since the uh, COVID uh, outbreak. So, yeah, it was interesting. That the, the, the finish sucked. Like, the, the, having hit, like, the idea that Cody Rhodes, of all people, knows how to get out of every hold and knows how to get a f- flash pen when, like, that's not how you really get over flash pens. It just does not really work. And especially with like the head and arm choke, which is what Hager used in Bellator like that. That was a nice touch, but then you kind of just made him look like a goober. Cody did have his best ever in Cody cutter in this match. I thought that did own. Yeah. Yeah. Nate had the, had the great comment last night on the discord chat, which was like, I hope this was Nate. Cause otherwise I'm going to be an asshole. Maybe Mike said it. Now I'm questioning myself. Somebody said they've made his gimmick being a really good wrestler. It was not me. Fuck. Uh, actually, I thought that was you. <laughs> oh, maybe it was me. Maybe it was Kath. It must have been Kath or Carl. I don't know. Somebody, <laughs> yeah, one of the, any, any I of didn't think I didn't think of somebody saying that. I was like, that was a good point, but I thought it was you. <laughs> huh. So you didn't want to give me credit for it, did you? Yes. Well, uh, no, no, I just didn't bring it up at all, whereas you brought it up and got it wrong. <laughs> Uh, so credit to whoever's point that was in the Discord, and sorry we didn't remember. Yeah, and it, it, you know, it makes sense in that 
that was the thing he said before the so-called open challenge started, right? Like, oh, you think I'm uh, not a great worker? Just watch this. And it's like, okay, yes, you had Jake Hager's best match since Rusev, probably. But the thing, the like weird things where he can't actually beat people until he like uh, out of nowhere reverses something at the end to win is like not that impressive, really, from like a kayfabe perspective. It's kind of like he's working uh, Zack Sabre Jr.'s New Japan run where he won, where he just busted out like a series of six ridiculously and on their face impressive submission reversals and consequently like beat, you know, uh, Naito and Tanahashi and Ibushi and whoever in consecutive things. It's like, it's almost like that's what he's going for. Like, like, oh, I've got, you know, keys to all these problems. I've got the solution to whatever your move is. And that's how I'm going to win the match. But his, the actual execution of the moves is just to Ohio Valley wrestling and not as, you know, obviously impressive as what Zack Sabre does. Cause Zack Sabre does this shit and it like looks natural and it, you've never seen it before and it looks impressive. And Cody does the same thing and like reverses a head and arm choke into a weird top of the shoulder pin. And it just looks like you don't exactly know what's happening. It looks kind of messy. Whereas like, it'd be interesting if like somehow Cody learned how to do like wrestle. Well, wrestle one and two uh, do like, if he's going to do like a flash pen, like do like one that's like established and it doesn't look weird. Like do a backslide, do a uh, La Magistral. L- like do something that's like, oh, I can somehow lock this in there. Or, like how Brian Danielson was uh, Mr. Small Package. Like get that over. Like the reason why it worked for Brian Danielson is that he got it over because he was able to get it out of nowhere and became such a decisive finish. Like it looks like he like banana peels wins. And then you have this whole thing with his brother in this. And it was very, very bullshitty. They're, but they're also like Zach... Uh, Brian Danielson are both smaller guys. Well, I mean, Saber's a lot taller than Brian, but you know he's built much smaller, especially than a lot of the New Japan guys. So it makes sense that he has to come up with these ways to win matches. Cody is like supposed to be better than than most everybody else in this company, so he should just beat people, not have to like outthink them, especially not have to outthink fucking Jake Hager of all people. Yeah, I guess it almost makes sense for Hager more than the other guys. Like, it makes more sense for Hager than Darby, maybe, just because Hager is the larger guy in this context. But, yeah, you know, Hager is just the longest or the the most recent name on that list. Yeah, but, I mean, like, Hager hasn't beaten anybody in this company, so it's not like Cody should really need to uh, outsmart him. But here we are. We have This has to be the last main event uh, built feud for Jake Hager now, right? I would assume so. Both belts? can't do it again when he loses every time yeah there's i mean uh, i don't know if we'll talk about this but it it looks like inner circle i don't know is the inner circle on its way out i don't know maybe jake haker's on his way out i don't know how long he's signed for obviously next up there was a darby allen video he was uh i saw him skateboard i saw him ride a zip line and i saw him light a dude on fire those are the things that i noted from the video yeah, so I'm uh, just going to put the point on. So it appears that, uh, you know, Darby's return, whenever he is quote-unquote medically cleared, uh, will be imminent. Um, so uh, I, I think we scooped that on the most recent episode of AEW Light on our Patreon, if you guys missed that. Um, but yeah, they uh, check that out for more details, I suppose, on Darby. That's right. So Orange Cassidy came out next to the commentary table. 
And that led into a private party defeating Santana and Ortiz. Isaiah Cassidy pinned Santana after Gin and Juice. Let's stop there because the post-match didn't have anything to do with these two. So, well, what do we think of the match? And what do we think of everybody in Inner Circle losing? Uh, Yeah, I was surprised by the finish here. Um, I just think that Santana and Ortiz are like the more finished product. So I was just kind of expecting them. They could also maybe use a win to rehabilitate them a little bit because they've, you know, they've been eating the losses for the inner circle that Sammy Guevara is not eating. Um, But uh, the the match is certainly better than last one. Um, And the finish surprised me. So that always sort of, you know, piques your interest. Yeah, that this one was better than their first one. It's it seems like that with Matt Hardy, they're trying to play like he's mentoring people. They're trying to keep him in doing a lot of things here. And you know, that'll be interesting, and especially given what happens after this and with the movement of the world title match to fight for the fallen, you know, they kind of justified a way for them to kind of, I guess, expedite this and make it so that they get a title match next week, which you know, that'll be interesting. But it does seem like that like Matt Hardy like grabbed the mad ball and was just like being like the smart veteran. They, they really like having veteran managers who outs who are constantly outsmarting younger wrestlers. And it's something that I don't know, like, like we've talked about it before, but I'm just going to pose this out here as a question. Does that make all the young wrestlers look like dipshits? So I think that's, so, yeah, in this context, I think it's fine because Matt Hardy is also a wrestler and you want your baby faces to not look like the dipshits and they were the baby face team here. Um, I think the goofy thing just goes back to the problem of having like Arn Anderson be this weird baby face manager for Cody who shouldn't need it. Uh, and I don't know that he adds anything to the act. Um, him outsmarting people. You know, I guess that's what his role is supposed to be. Is he supposed to be your Belichick? And, oh, he's so smart, and he's playing chess out there. Uh, but, I, you know, it just doesn't work for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I still hate it. I still hate it. He needed Art Anderson to beat Darby. He needed this, like, weird thing to beat Jake Hager. I'm irritated by it. Uh, I do think you're right, Mike. They kind of rely on that trope a little bit. They – they have, and I don't know who, if it's a, a Cody thing or a Tony Khan thing, but they have some specific things that they really rely on a lot. And it makes it get, um, you know, it's just stale. It's just something that it's harder to enjoy because of that. But I think in this case, you know, that that's fresh. Omega and Page versus Private Party and Santana and Ortiz versus Private Party is something you can, I'm sorry, Santana and Ortiz versus Omega and Page is something you can go to later uh, if you want to. So I think that's fine. And that, Hopefully, it will be a fun match. I thought Private Party was better here than they have been in some time. It looked more polished than usual. Yeah, like it does seem that like they're putting it together. So it'll make put them in an interesting scenario next week. It's interesting to me um, how many people I think have kind of improved after we've seen them elevated. Uh, in this uh, case specifically, you know, Mark Quinn was like the main event against Cody on a Dynamite episode. Um, and you know, I'm not going to do the melts or he like, you know, super improved after one tour in Japan, but like, I don't know. I've seen that throughout, you know, you see Penelope get put in big TV matches or whatever. And it's not like they're out there doing, you know, a hundred dates a year, um, or whatever it is that, that she would improve that quickly. But 
just when I guess when you have that television experience and you have a big time meaningful match, the next time you come out, you're just a little more confident. Well, it's got to make it's got to increase your motivation also, you know, of like, oh, OK, there's actually a chance here for me to be put in big spots. So, you know, if they're anything like me, I need something to motivate me or I'm just not going to do shit, <laughs> so, <laughs> which they're all much more successful than I am. So perhaps we're not alike. Uh, uh, Dasha Gonzalez uh, was backstage with Paige and Omega and they cut uh, two very weird promos I thought here Uh, Paige says he's doing great he loves the best friends he thinks they deserve a title shot but the word deserve dries up when you get in the ring like very weird thing for him to say I thought I like that line he's right I mean I guess so but it just like Paige has the weird, like, you know, same age as us uh, type uh, charisma that is not like your normal wrestler. This is like something any babyface wrestler could have said in a promo. I feel like that's not really his charm. Hmm. Uh, Kenny Omega, same kind of thing, just cuts like a, a, a white meat babyface promo. Week after week, we've defeated everyone. This week will be no different. All right. Thanks, Kenny. Did, did this feel like this was a promo you would see on Superstars that was going to build you up to next week? The uh, the natural disasters are going up against the demolition and they're like revving up the arms ready to go with this. Like, listen yeah. here, brother. Yeah, it, it wasn't even that. It was it was almost like they were just selling me on the, the match. It's going to be, you know, in my hometown next next Wednesday night or whatever. You know, just like a very rote um a very rote promo, but anyway. well, I mean, if they were going to try to get me to the Spartanburg War Memorial and <laughs> that, that this is going to be the match that's going to be here, including all, all the stars of AEW, and this is like a C-loop like house show match. I mean, okay, like that's cool, but like this is a match that was happening in approximately 10 minutes, and this was the promo they had. And, just, and that's the main event of this it's show. It's the main event, yeah, no. And there is something about like Paige's charisma sometimes with like lines like this. Like I feel like he's a lot better at physically expressing his emotions than doing like like a sit down promo like this unless it's mm. like like the pre-recorded promos where you can tell like, he put some thought into it it's not like hey we're cutting a wrestling promo here's the microphone in your face so i see your point there brian cage came out with taz taz says the cat's out of the bag everybody knows what i found out earlier today uh cage versus mox delayed to fight for the fallen in two weeks Taz says they're not upset Mox politics and bought himself another week. In fact, he had a nice conversation with Tony Khan earlier in the day. Tony Khan becoming more and more of a, of a television character. He says, I learned that Mox is concerned for the health of the crew here. That's weird since you've been tested twice at home and tested negative both times. And you know, if you came to work next week, you'd get tested again. Because as you know, we don't run a sloppy shop. And we get Brian Cage in the background giving us finger guns because Taz is shooting, baby. He says, Mox... You have a case of one thing, the chicken shits. You're afraid of the machine. You should be. He'll beat your brains in and take the championship from your dumb ass. Taz rules. Best on interviews, Taz. Everybody loves Taz. Yeah. Yeah. He's good. Uh, this this took us into the tag team championship match. When he's working, he just comes across as real. He does come across as real. That's what it's all about, right? what it's all about it's the whole thing it's what we live for that's right that's right uh the and he's got a new uh ftw t-shirt taz <laughs> yeah that's exciting <laughs> it's, it's i don't know it's kind of kind of i don't know 
he's just in, and he's in the correct uh, age and recent relevancy to have to be good and have uh, equity as like a nostalgia guy. But also, he's just so good now that he's not nostalgia at all. He's just current. Yeah, and he he's not old enough that he still looks like a tough guy. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. they they also make him look like a tough guy because they always freight they always uh. I giving up for a short king out here, a fellow short king. They always like make sure the camera is like right on him and it's not like standing back. So you could tell like one, it makes Taz look like an like someone who's a little bit bigger, and two, it makes Cage look massive and it kind of makes that gives a good dynamic on that as well. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. Whoever made that choice to shoot all of his promos like that, I think is really smart because you know, most in-ring promos, the camera's kind of moving around or the guy's moving around. And Taz just doesn't have to fuck around with that at all. He just like straight down the barrel, takes up most of the frame and just talks directly into the room. And him having that different energy, I think adds a lot to his promos too. The best friends. Oh no, that's not what happened. Uh, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page defeated the best friends, I believe. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. That, that was his hopeful thinking, I guess. I guess so. I, what, I mean, this happens to me all the time. I write it before the match starts. <laughs> <laughs> like based on what I think is going to happen. Yeah. And then I guess I forgot to change it when it didn't happen. Uh, so yes, as we talked about earlier, the best friends pulled up in a minivan driven by Sue. She gives Greggy a little kiss, sends him on his way to the ring. Uh, in the middle of the match, FTR came out uh, in beach chairs and sat near commentary. Uh, ultimately, Hangman Page pinned Trent with the buckshot lariat. As Nate alluded to, after the match, FTR came out and gave everyone a beer. Uh, Kenny poured his out in the middle of the ring. And for some reason, this led to uh, an altercation. And I guess the interesting thing here was that Paige had clearly took FTR's side in this little melee. Yeah, I mean, I, that is like fine. It, I guess it's a pretty good character detail, all things considered, because of course it's established that Paige is an alcoholic and Kenny's straight edge. Uh, so that's a, that's a good way to sort of play off the tension that has existed between Kenny Omega and Hangman Page. Um, that I, you know, I'm not really taking any issue with that, but then them just tweeting about it is obnoxious because it's like their Twitter personas are, are already obnoxious. And they're like, oh, we're going to save tag team wrestling from Kenny Omega's leg slaps. And it's just like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Yeah. I just, I just don't get like, I don't understand why I should care about this like escalation in the in the feud it's like i mean i'm not a beer drinker i don't would i be more offended if i drink beer i fuck i don't know but it's just like it wasn't even like he was doing it to what's like he did it right in front of their face you know or like he went over to the corner and he poured it out like he didn't like pour it out in the ring in front of them like he just went like right i'm doing you know (laughs) the 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 tension is in real life if you get if you bought somebody a beer and they and they were a beer drinker and they poured it out, that would be disrespectful to you, right? Sure, yeah. I, I that's see that. obviously not the case here. Yeah, <laughs> if, yeah. If you bought somebody a beer and they were not a beer drinker, you're actually the dick. Yeah. Right, and they know. I mean, it is canon that Kenny Omega is not a beer drinker. Yeah, he's a teetotaler. Yeah. And it, he was like, he was nice. He did like a, well, he kind of put it up to his mouth, you know, being polite, I thought. And then he's... Yeah, I, I mean, he, I guess for the heel team, so it's it's it makes sense. Yeah, it, again, it just... It's actually, I think kind of a good storyline beat it just a little mechanical you know doesn't feel doesn't have that real feeling to it um 
And I think that's just FTR spends so much time talking about how it's not fucking real all the time. Yeah, that, that there is like this intentional sheen of superficiality that FTR has put on to the everyone who's around the promotion because of their tweets, because of the thing, just because like how it is. And then you have an angle like this that's supposed to be a big thing because it for the first like six months of the year and leading last year, the big thing was, oh, our Kenny and Paige, it seems like they're the ones that are on the same page and like Kenny was like getting back and good. And then you like you have them out there and then the Bucks came out and it just like had the sheen of superficiality to it that is kind of something that with FTR and also like what was up with like two the like multiplications of people just going out and watching matches just standing out by commentary and just sitting there like orange cassidy that's a, there. that's a trope they like they like that trope and it's just one of those things maybe it's because i'm predisposed that fdr is involved with them not as interested but just getting into the match itself for a moment there were a couple like really kind of cool moments in this but like for a match that like i was building up to and like loving the best friends i was like going like all right this could be like really cool like omega and page have had great tag team wrestling match i'm a tag team wrestling nerd i love that kind of stuff just did not like i don't know it was just was not what i was hoping for in this kind of match here and like the finish was kind of deflating with the way they did it and yeah kind of a little bit of a bummer and maybe it is that i am invested in best friends but it did kind of feel like it came with this match like in comparison to other omega and page matches where i was like all right that's solid i came out of this going like huh this wasn't so solid this wasn't what i was hoping for so I think uh, people seem to be really high on this match that I saw. Um, my experience of it was, again, pretty distracted by all the voice chatting. The fight TV feed did not break away from the match during the ad break, and they really worked it like it was an ad break during the ad break, and it was very quiet. And that was kind of like just a very soft middle portion to the match, and that kind of, I think, infected my ability to peak for the end of the match later. Um but yeah, the, you know, both these teams have had and will have, I think, better matches than this. We for, I forgot. It's my fault. To go back to the Orange Cassidy-Jericho face-off earlier in the show. I don't know if anybody had any comments on that. Uh, no, I will say... Um, okay, I guess there's a comment on that, so I don't know why I said no. <laughs> uh, him, him wearing the shirt with his blood on it from Dynamite was just a good little touch. Uh, and I think the trope of having people at ringside to... Just remind the uh, viewers of their story is a good wrestling tool in general. Like, um, you know, they do it with like Allie and QT Marshall on Dark, um, or just having Britt at ringside all the time, just so the camera can stop and remind you of this character and that they have a storyline going on. It's a really good way to keep momentum up for a storyline without spending a lot of time on it on the show. Um, so yeah, that, that doesn't bother me, but that's all. All right. If you've enjoyed the uh, 78 or so free episodes of this show we've done and you want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is go to patreon.com slash everything elite. We have three levels of uh, subscriptions, $3, $5, $8. Go check those out. See what you get. Uh, we did last week a Fighter Fest retrospective. We look back at Fighter Fest from last year. We previewed night one of Fighter Fest along with mostly Nate's ideas uh, for cosplay for the wrestlers. Basically, uh, nobody cosplayed. Nate, how did you feel about that? Didn't feel good about it. It's pretty disappointed, especially because some of these people have just easy opportunities for cosplay. So only Sheeta stepped up to the theme. 
So uh, shout out to her, I guess. Real disappointed in the utter lack of Klaus Strauss out there. Really disappointed. We also, as always, it was a little different. We dropped our light, our dynamite preview show uh, with Nate's vlog recaps. But this week we were all together for it. We recorded it a day early. And as Nate mentioned earlier, we had a few scoops on how AW is dealing with uh, a few of the talents who were named in the speaking out accusation. So you can check that out if you're interested. Um, next week, we'll bring back light and we'll have a, a bonus audio show on Monday. Uh, as we mentioned, you know, the discord, it's a lot of fun. Come in and check us out. I mean, Nate, it was distracting. But did you have fun in the discord? Are you going to come back to the discord? I did have fun. I don't think I'm going to do the voice chat every week. Well, I'm for sure not going to do the voice chat every week because it <laughs> makes it very hard to watch the show for me. That's fair. I think I, I think I just I start I enjoy myself talking too much and then I start talking and then I'm not watching the show anymore. <laughs> I think that's the main issue. Okay, but come in, you know, chat with the chat with our patrons occasionally. It's fun. Uh, yeah. So Patreon.com/slash Everything Elite. Uh, five bucks gets you every piece of audio we've ever done. Next week, Fighter Fest Night Two, July eighth at Daly's Place at. Is probably being taped or has already been taped at this point? Uh, as from what I know, it's probably taping is going underway right now. So here's what you're going to see. Let's run through the card. Let's start at the bottom, I guess. SCU versus Dark Order, a trios match. It's going to be Brody Lee, uh, Stu Grayson, and Colt Cabana representing the Dark Order there. Glad we're getting a trios match. And I think that... It's something that the cult storyline with Dark Order and other people in Dark Order has been pretty interesting. So I'm pretty interested to see where this goes out. I said interested three times in the last sentence. And, you know, it's I love Trio's wrestling. It's my favorite kind of wrestling. And we haven't had too much of it as of late. So I'm excited to see where this can go. I'm interested to see what kind of teamwork that like Stu Grayson and Colt Cabana have. Like that's something I'm really interested in. It's like Brody Lee. I think this is. Other than like tagging with Colt Cabana, this is like his first like other non-singles match he's had so far in the company. I'm kind of interested in where this can go. Pretty interesting. I mean, I know you have to do it for the Colt storyline, but just interesting to have Stu there and not Evil Uno. Um, and yeah, the, they've got a lot of strong trios here. Um, they're going to protect Scorpio Sky, obviously, because he continues to get wins. For the Dark Order story to continue, it seems like they would have to help Colt get another win here. So yeah, maybe it's just Colt pinning Christopher Daniels or something. I'm going to keep dropping this so that I can take a victory lap if I'm right. Uh, I think they're going to take Scorpio off and he's going to end up paired up with Taz. I think that's where we're going here. Maybe, but um, yeah, they, I mean, they could do that, but I think they want him as a baby face. And I also think they just have a lot of utility for trios because that lets you do a lot of things. You know, it's like the Sables in New Japan just gives you a lot of little booking cheats for these multi-guy matches. So, you know, he, he can have a loose affiliation with the other two tag guys and they can just be a tag. But if he ever needs backup for something, then he's got, you know, a built-in relationship there. They're doing this little thing on Dark where every time Scorpio comes out, Taz gets really excited and really puts him over. And I, we know they're kind of... Focusing on him more, he got a new uh, entrance theme. So, and they've already talked about that he's going to be highlighted as a singles wrestler for a little bit. So, I don't know. I just I like the idea of uh, of him hooking up with Taz and Cage. I'll take my victory lap on the Scorpio Sky singles push. Absolutely. 
Nyla Rose is going to be in action, folks, and they've teased that she's going to have a big announcement. I don't know if this is like been said, but a lot of people are assuming that the big announcement is going to be who she's facing, that that's going to have something to do. I don't know. What do you all think, think what's coming that, here? It seems like a weird thing. Yes. To frame as an announcement. Like my announcement is my opponent has signed with the company or something. That's not, I would not have framed it that way. So I, I'm skeptical. That's what it would be. Um, also, she's a heel. So yeah, you know, I, I don't have any expectations that this is going to be some division altering thing. It's going to be it's probably the next step in her little character storyline. Yeah. I know that there are like some people are like, and that it could be like an announcement of like a Ross member. And I think as Nate said, that would be kind of awkward. It's it's going to be interesting though, because uh, this last, this week's show had only five matches. This week's show is going to, next week's show is going to have six matches. So one would guess that with everything else being set up, that whomever this is, is going to be probably be squashed or they're going to get a big one over Nyla Rose coming in. So who knows? It, it's interesting though. We're going to have Lance Archer versus Joey Janela. As I said earlier, I really don't know what this looks like, so I'm pretty intrigued by it. Hopefully it looks like uh, Lance Archer uh, just making Joey Janela bump all over the place. That's probably the best uh, formula for having a really good match between these guys, and I think that's probably pretty close to what it will be. Yeah, no, like uh, Joey finds ways to take really gross bumps, and we're probably okay. And is Joey booked for the GCW uh backyard show or is he announced for that uh i don't think i saw him announced for that he is announced for the gcw homecoming show for jersey right but i i'm i if he is on the backyard show it might just be commentary that's what he did last year yeah that's true i'm just it's just weird to me that he's getting this like reset and now we're gonna see him probably get killed by lance archer yeah um yeah it doesn't really bother me. It's going to bother people for sure. But I think just you get more value in having Lance Archer remain strong, especially when he's more recent here. And you, he doesn't, you know, just because they put together this tag team now with Sunny Kiss doesn't mean you have to hit the gas on it right away. They can kind of, you know, work things out between the two of them and, and start putting together some more backseat boys spots and develop the team that way. And then hopefully there's a point when we have fans again, if any states ever get it together, um, that we can, you know, see, hey, is the crowd invested in this team? And hey, maybe they can start to get an organic connection with the crowd and get a get some momentum going that way. Also, I mean, I guess at his core, and I mean this as a compliment, Joey's kind of a loser, right? Like he's like a lovable loser. So it's it's okay if he loses matches to guys like Lance Archer. Yeah, he's I guess he's kind of like uh the 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 charming '90s slacker archetype, yeah, like from the movie Slackers. <laughs> that right. might have been early 2000s. Might be 2000, actually. Hmm. That would be early 2000s, I suppose. I thought Mike was googling it, but I don't think he is now. Who knows? That can, can never tell what Mike's doing over there on his no. on his rig, his posting I, rig. On my posting rig, uh, the movie Slackers was '90s, guys. Were you going to Google it or no? I, I know pretty definitively that Slackers is, I think, 97. I'm going to guess Slackers okay. was 97. I appreciate the bold statement. Uh, 2002. Slackers, yeah, 2002. 2002, early 2000s in the house. Oh, I was thinking about a different Slacker movie. I was thinking about the movie Slacker, which was 91, so I was still wrong. Okay. 
And also, I thought you said Hackers. So I was thinking about that movie. I think Hackers is 1997. I'm pretty certain of that. Going to give this a little Google. I don't know know if I'd stake certainty on that again, Mike. I mean, let's see if I'm over three here. Let's do this. Let's see Hackers. 95. Fuck. Over three. I am properly owned. Fuck. Okay, but now you have to. We have to get some sort of uh, recompense here for Mike's zero and three ness. I think we have to mandate yeah. it. Yes, <laughs> I have to agree. I think Mike, uh, this means you got to buy uh, several vials of an anabolic steroid. Vials. <laughs> <laughs> you got to buy at least one cycle. <laughs> one cycle. Okay, like I, I, I don't even know, like. Do I need to like? Do they still have like Silk Road Darknet? Like, does that still exist? Would, would that be a really lame way to get arrested? <laughs> is buying steroids off of the dark web? Yeah, there has to be easier and safer ways than going <laughs> on the dark web. That seems like opening a can of worms. Yeah, all I can yeah. say, Mike, is you are going to have to figure this out, buddy, because yeah, time just- to get on the gas. Although I, I figured out what you were thinking of, Mike. 1997's Flubber. <laughs> no, I was not thinking about that whatsoever, man. Come on, Mike, go with the you bit. Sure? You sure you were? The Nutty <laughs> Professor remake with was that Eddie Murphy? Yeah, that was Eddie Murphy. Why did I say Nutty Professor? What did it? The absent-minded oh. professor. Yeah, the absent-minded professor. That was the original Flubber. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this. Yeah, Robin Williams Flubber. Robin Williams. Eddie Murphy was the Nutty Professor. Okay, we're, he was the Nutty Professor. All I, the '90s movies have run together for all of us at this point. My, my, my brain's just like a stew at this point, guys. I was just trying to find something that ended in an "er" that came out in 1997 to to do the yeah. joke. That was it. Dumb and Dumber. Joke of the week. No, mm-hmm. Dumb and Dumber was earlier. I did a lot of jokes on light this week. If you're if you're interested, a lot of jokes, guys. If you want to hear some jokes? Really rattling off just a whole bunch of jokes. <laughs> If you're looking for a reason to get the Patreon, check out the Discord where it's just all A-B jokes. All where the I time. just riff. It's good. <laughs> uh, the Young Bucks and FTR versus Butcher and Blade and the Lucha Brothers. Is it bad that like that end of the show segment like made me less interested in this match? Uh, I mean, it, it did, but the match is still going to rock. Well, I mean, yeah, it has the motherfucking Butcher and the motherfucking Blade and the Lucha Brothers. Yeah, can't go yeah, wrong the, here. The odd couples here is super fun to me. Don't you know they could do this without any sort of story or angle around it, and it would still just be a very fun combination of people in this match. Chris Jericho versus Orange Cassidy. Does anybody think Orange wins? Um, mm. I could see an argument. If, if we think if we think there's some merit to the idea that the inner circle is losing everything here in this run of shows, it would stand to reason that the finale or the capstone to that would be Orange Cassidy getting the huge upset over Chris Jericho. We know that Chris Jericho wanted to work with Orange Cassidy because he was the guy with the the most uh, you know potential for catching new eyeballs or whatever. Um, and we also know that Chris Jericho likes to try and make guys. I so I don't think it's out of the question. Yeah, it, it's something where like there's enough things and I think they have to put in a doubt. And if they are truly getting away for from the inner circle and if they're going to try to somehow build up somewhere, some way, like this whole Chris Jericho, Mike Tyson thing, which he did bring up on commentary, Mike Tyson again. Like it could be something where they do that and they could build it up in a way that it's like 
Orange Cassidy and Mike Tyson versus Chris Jericho and Jake Hager. And that could end up being like something that they do at All Out. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways that you could rationalize yourself into it. I don't know, though. I think with Jericho, they've kind of kept Jericho on the sidelines. He's already lost like his last big match he's lost. So, he's lost a tag team titles match as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways to go with this. It does seem like Jericho wins. And the main event, tag team championships. Kenny, it's probably not the main event. They just main evented with with these belts, so I don't know. But they like to put the belts on last, so I have no idea. They just like to put tag team title matches on TV is what I think they really like to do. Is this going to be four straight weeks? (laughs) Something like that? Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Or at least not necessarily a title match, but... It's being defended a lot more than the TNT title match title is at this point. Yeah, the weekly title? Yeah, Yeah, uh, tag team titles. So after it not being defended because of uh, Adam Page not going to the tapings, it's been def- it will have been defended four out of the last six episodes of Dynamite. And even the one they didn't, they had the number one contenders match and right. like giving up your number one contenders match or what the fuck ever. Yeah. Anyway, Omega and Page are going to defend against Private Party. That's going to happen on this show. It'll be their seventh defense which is something that's kind of interesting. The fact that they have now like Rio had three world women's defenses. Nyla Rose had two. She had two women's defenses. Like this is now like the, the, the most like defended title reign so far in the company's history. Wow. That's probably hey, I like, I like having them get a bunch of defenses under the belt. Oh, yeah. belts. They're two top guys. So it should be meaningful when somebody actually finally uh, unseats them and gets these belts. Uh, I guess my what I'm keeping an eye out for now is I don't know who we're building to do that just yet because Private Party is not the team that's been built to get there. I guess it's probably coming out of the uh, FDR and Young Bucks feud is probably the direction we're going to get somebody to take these belts off of Omega and Page, and they have been sort of planting the seeds for that with FDR and the Young Bucks coming out and getting a lot involved in a lot of their segments and brawls, etc. Um but yeah, you know, I, I want to get that team that's going to be the challengers. Uh, really need to heat them up to a to a peak level in order to earn these belts off of the established hot tag team. Yeah, and like looking over their title history, they already have uh, that they, they defeated uh, Scorpio Sky and Frankie Kazarian, and then they defeated in the rematch. Defeated Lucha Brothers. Defeated Young Bucks. Defeated. Uh, Super Bad Squad defe- defeated Natural Nightmares, defeated Best Friends. There's only so many other teams left unless they're going to start like throwing together teams, or unless it's like Dark Order, or if it's uh, or if it's FTR, or if it's Butcher and Blade. You know, like hey, you end- can get you can get three different entire teams out of the Dark Order. Four different. You can get yeah, uh, Press Preston and Angles. You can get the Super Smash Brothers. Yeah, Colton Brody and the Beaver Boys. You got four teams right there. I mean, mock turtleneck and, you know, they can have another follower as well. Maybe, maybe that person wrestles as well. Who knows? I'm guessing FTR is going to be the team that wins the titles off of them. Yeah. That's probably the logical move. They're the heels and that lets them go down the line and do another big Young Bucks FTR face off there. Right. I was going to say Lucha Brothers, but I'd forgotten that they that Omega and Page already beat them. So. That's what I was thinking too until I started looking at it. it was the Atlanta show. It was the uh, that was the I think the semi main event for before the uh, the first ever Wardlow Day. 
And then we found out, of course, that the AW World Championship match, John Moxley and Brian Cage, will be on July 15th at what they're calling Fight for the Fallen. So all the old friends are coming back in like three weeks in a row. Do, so. do we do we think that you say all our old friends, are we going to have the Farrah and Farrah brothers in the front rows for this? They better. Yeah, we better pretty much. I mean, they stayed, uh, they were very consistent with the Fighter Fest, you know, the whole aesthetic from yeah. last year. So, I mean, Farrah and Farrah are a part of Fight for the Fallen. They need mm-hmm. to be there. Yeah, they're, they're part of the uh, AEW Extended Universe. Yeah, and, you know, they can do a thing with them drinking with FTR, maybe. Yeah. You know, they were very drunk during last Fight for the Fallen, if you've forgotten that. <laughs> they, they could be behind the uh, velvet rope for Private Party celebrating oh, yeah. the world title win. That's that'd, a that's an angle. That'd be good. Yeah. Whatever you can do with Fair and Fair, you got to do. Yeah, absolutely. And just a reminder, ripping off the tobacco companies is cool. Absolutely. Okay, well... Anything else you guys want to talk about? No, um, except I'm going to continue talking. So well, I don't know. Nate, two <laughs> times no. in a row, buddy. Just talk. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, podcast app, iTunes. Check that out. Haven't gotten a review in a minute. Uh, remember, if you leave a five-star review there and leave us some nice words in the post underneath, then we'll shout you out here on the podcast. Uh, both of you guys have podcasts. Uh, Aaron has the Jumping Bomb audio podcast about Josh women's wrestling. Check that out. Mike has the Open the Voice Gate podcast about the Toriumon systems. Check that out. That's all. Wow, little plugs for our for our other shows. Wow, okay. I mean, I was just going to talk about F1 coming back. And oh, yeah. The latest news, racing talk for a couple minutes. Nate was hoping we would not talk about <laughs> racing. I don't have any, I have no entry point on F1 where I can make any sort of informed contribution i mean well it's starting this weekend nate so you can jump in if you want yeah yeah i think the car should be banned which does extend to f1 which i understand involves cars it does involve cars that's true i can't change that i I mean the one thing that i saw that i thought was kind of funny was uh charlotte clerk the very nice awkward montegasque driver for ferrari saying Oh yeah, I fully expect a Ferrari to be much worse this year, and I thought that that was hilarious. Yeah, you you love the honesty from the drivers, and from he's very drivers. sincere. Yeah, you love so. that. Uh, the real question for me, so Nate, when they do a a Formula One race weekend, they have three practice sessions, qualifying, and then the race. So, what's Starts really tomorrow? Yeah. So Friday. the real the real question for uh, the race perverts out there is. How many of these practice sessions am I going to watch? Uh, the first one starts at 4.55 a.m. tomorrow. So it's looking bad for that one. I mean, I might watch qualifying on Saturday. Oh, I'm watching some practice. There's no doubt about it. I miss racing. I'm excited. Now, does, does any Is there any information you can glean from watching a practice session that actually enhances your enjoyment of the, the real session? Absolutely. You start to learn, like, how they're handling the car, if they're having issues with the car, what improvements they've done to the car. This is a particularly important practice session because nobody's been on track for like three months. Hmm. And they've changed, and most teams have changed up their cars. They were given two months off, and then like the last month, everyone's been in the shop, like doing the cars and seeing like what has changed since what was going to happen in Australia and preseason testing in Barcelona. 
and yeah. seeing that it's seeing like how bad Williams is like that's always fun because Williams will do something dumb and then you see like how the the track's riding so it's not even like the uh it's not even just like the drivers and the cars it's seeing like okay they're doing a thing where basically they're running four places but they're doing back-to-back weekends it's like okay so how does Austria at the Red Bull ring are looking is looking as a course this year so there's some information to be gleaned however it is way past my bedtime and before my wake-up time so probably not for me yeah i'm probably gonna catch practice too because it's at 8 55 on tomorrow tomorrow morning so i'll probably or friday yeah i'll probably catch the 8 55 practice uh, i'm doing omakase this weekend oh yeah that's right oh, yeah that's right you yeah. want to hear uh you know obviously old wrestling should be banned in addition to cars but i will be talking about old wrestling mm-hmm. on that program it's on john's new patreon so We'll have to check that out. Um, there is, if if you want to stuff the votes, John, obviously not an AEW fan, if you've listened, uh, and has not seen the Adam Page and Kenny Omega match against the Young Bucks from Revolution. So uh, I put that up to the fan vote. Uh, John nominated a Shawn Michaels and Steve Austin match to go up against it one-on-one. So if you uh, want to vote for the AEW match so that they have to watch that, uh, that would be funny to me. You will have to subscribe to their Patreon. All right. Well, I think that's it. So uh, you can talk to us about anything you want at everything AEW. Honestly, you can talk to us more if you just subscribe to the Patreon, join the Discord. Uh, we just talk about God knows what in there. Uh, I'm at Aaron like the car on Twitter. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fujiheya. For some reason, I had to look at each of them when I said that. I'm not sure why. No one <laughs> doesn't add to anyone's enjoyment of this podcast. Subscribe to the podcast, rate and review, as as Nate said. And please make sure uh, to check out patreon.com slash everything elite if you want to support the show. That's it. For Mike, for Nate, I'm Aaron. We'll see you next time.